0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So as I was preparing for our time this morning, um, I was reminded of, of something that I got to participate in many years ago. Many years ago, I had someone approach me, and uh, they were a friend, at least at that time they were, and um, invite me to be a part of this bike ride that was just really cool. So I thought, okay, I can ride a bike, and they said, yeah, we actually we ride our bikes from Seattle to Portland. It's called the STP. And I said, oh, great, you know, how many, how, is this like a week? I mean, do you camp along the way? How many days do you do this? Oh, yeah, we do it in one day. Really? So being young and not necessarily having good judgment, I thought, well, I can do that. And who needs to train? So, I, you know, I borrowed some equipment, borrowed a bike, and, and showed up for this Seattle to Portland bike ride. My friends, that's a 200-mile journey, And so I get on this bike, and in 1999, did my first STP and got about 130 miles into the trip and realized this is a bad idea. (laughs) Next year is going to be different, because this time it's personal, because now I have this challenge, and now I am going to do this. So in the year 2000, I went out and bought my own road bike, got my own equipment, trained for like, you know, two weeks, and then thought, that's good enough, I'll, I'll do this bike ride. And so this is a picture of me at the finish line in 2000, finishing this bike ride 200 miles in one day. But there is a story within the story, and here it is. So there's this interesting phenomenon that happens if you are journeying um, up, the, up the river there on Highway 30 towards Portland. Because where this bike ride ended that year was at the St. John's Bridge on the other side there in Cathedral Park. And so I thought as I began to see this bridge, you know, the end is in sight. And I was really glad that the end was in sight because this was about 160 miles into this 200-mile bike ride. I'd been on a bike for 14 hours at that point. Nothing that Advil and a whole lot of prayer can't cover over, right? And so I'm seeing the St. John's Bridge, and maybe you've noticed this before, maybe you haven't, but as you're traveling up Highway 30, you can see the St. John's Bridge from a long ways away, but it looks like it's just over the next hill, and I kept thinking, it's, it's, it's there, the finish line is there. Rest, recuperation, recovery, more Advil. It's there just over that next hill. And so I'd go over the next hill, and here was the St. John's Bridge over another hill. And I'd go over that hill, and here was the St. John's Bridge still off in the distance over another hill. This, this rest that I was so longing for and looking forward to was so elusive. It looked like it was right there in mine to have, but I could never quite get there. You ever felt like that? We come to a passage here today where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sign me up, right? But how do you experience that? What is this rest that Jesus is talking about? How do you experience it? How do you get it? Because in talking to a number of you, even coming in this morning, we're all looking for that rest. We all could use rest. And so that's where this passage is going to take us this morning. But in 30 minutes, we don't have time to unpack all the dimensions of this critically important promise, really, that Jesus gives us. So I want to steer you to some resources that can help do that. I've read all of these, and there are certainly a number of others that are are just as good, maybe even better. But uh, The Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry is the most recent one I've read by John Mark Comer. I would highly recommend that to you. The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg, and a classic that's been around forever, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. All these will begin to unpack more in greater detail of what this rest that Jesus promises us is all about. But we are going to dive into this passage this morning where this is introduced. Because you see, in the Ark of Matthew, as you were, if you were with us last week, Jesus has been realigning, really, the expectations of John the Baptist and the people with who he really is, what his identity is all about, what he has come to do, what he promises them and us. And now he's going to do the same for the religious leaders. And unfortunately, it's not going to go quite so well. But embedded in this amazing story is this reality of rest. So that's where we'll go as we open this passage together. So this is Matthew chapter 11 and we're going to journey through the rest of chapter 11 and into 12 as we look at these amazing promises that God gives us about rest. So after Jesus has really spoken to the people and rebuked them and confronted them really about their, their pouty childlike behavior, now he's going to do this, and he's going to refer to us and them as children now in a good way. So at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son." and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they said to him, "Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath." And he answered, "Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, and this is out of Hosea 6, chapter 6, he quoted this earlier in Matthew, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So much lurking in those verses that we've read, and we're going to take a look at least at some of it. So Jesus promises that for all who are weary, all who are burdened, he will give rest. Is there anyone who does not want rest? Is there anyone who does not want or need rest now? Is there anyone feeling burdened? Anyone feeling wary? Yeah, my hand would go up for all those. Of course we need rest. But what is he really saying here? And this is one of those verses that has so much depth to it, and I've studied it and thought about it and prayed about it, and I'm sure we're only going to begin to unpack just a little bit here. But he talks about this reality of a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, in an agrarian culture, everyone would have known what he was referring to, but I'm not so sure we understand the significance of what he's talking about here. And this is a picture of of a yoke. Um, this is evidently a man in um, some part of rural India plowing his field with yoke. Yoke is a bar that connects two beasts of burden through these two rings. And there's, there's a lot of reality swimming around in this because by the very way Jesus says this, it infers that everybody has a yoke. That we're all yoked to something or someone at times in our life. And that's very fascinating to begin to think about. Because what is the reality of, of being yoked to something or someone other than Jesus? Sometimes we're we're yoked to our marriage. We're we're yoked to work. We're yoked to maybe a hobby or children or the approval of other people. I mean, I think there's a number of things we could put in the blank here. And when you're yoked to your marriage, what that looks like is you begin to put too much emphasis, too much expectation on your marriage. You begin to look to your spouse for needs that they they cannot fully meet. And so that kind of gets out of balance. And then if you yoke yourself to your kids, sometimes you begin to lose your identity in them and sometimes they lose their identity in, in you. Or if you're yoked to people's approval, then ironically, the close relationships that you desire, because that's out of balance, you don't really get to have them because you can't receive criticism, but you also can't give necessary criticism. And so you know, you begin to play this out and this is a very challenging picture. Anything but Jesus that we're yoked to will either outpace us or will become entangled in it. And yet Jesus offers us a better yoke. He offers us rest. And we talk about this almost every week because it really is the foundational reality of knowing and experiencing this God is, is coming to him. I mean, he says that in this very passage we just looked at. How do you find this rest? Well, it starts with coming to him. So have you come to him? You know, I have some unbelievers in my family, and I've heard this in other circles, who will jokingly say that in interactions with people, they've had a come to Jesus moment, right? You hear that used kind of disparagingly, kind of mockingly. Oh, they had a come to Jesus moment. But, but the reality, the swimming around in there is, it is a defining moment. Choosing to follow Jesus is a defining moment that happens necessarily in your spiritual journey where you choose to receive Him into your life as your Lord and Savior, not just to know about Him, but to know Him. And Jesus makes this incredibly beautiful, powerful statement in the opening verses that we read that the only way to come to the Father, the only way to really know the Father, is to know Him. You want to know what your Heavenly Father is like? Look at Jesus because of this intimacy that they enjoy and an intimacy that they invite us into. So he invites us into this this rest. And there's so many dimensions to this rest, but, but one of those dimensions is a rest from empty religion. Because empty religion is burdensome. In fact, that's where he's about to go in the passage that follows this that we just read. Empty religion puts you on this treadmill that you can never get off. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, and maybe you might be acceptable to God. Maybe you might be good enough. And yet, Jesus comes to free us from that. Because the good news is that you can't be good enough apart from Jesus Christ, that we all start out broken and in need of his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his presence in our life and right relationship with him. And so we respond to that. We receive him into our lives. We come to him and that begins to open the way for us to experience this this rest. And so when he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, he really means it. But again, it's a really strange analogy and, and metaphor because it still infers that there's a yoke. That you're no longer yoked to that thing that can never bring rest and really never fully satisfy you, but now you're yoked to Jesus. So you're yoked to him and his burden is light. Okay, so let's, let's begin to work through that. And now that brings us to the next passage and the religious leaders. Now in fairness, the Pharisees, these particular religious leaders, I think the original motives were good ones with how they were living their lives. They wanted to truly trust and obey God, so they took the 613 commandments of the first five books of the Bible and they added to them. They developed this oral tradition of 1,500 additional commandments that further defined what those earlier commandments were really talking about. And they had over 20, 39 actually, different rules for the Sabbath, for the day of rest. Because originally the intention was to trust and obey God as fully as possible, but somehow that went off the rails, and the rules and the regulations and the ritual became more important than the relationship with God and others, and that is at the heart of empty religion, the very thing that Jesus came to rescue us from. And so his disciples are walking through the field, they're hungry, and the Pharisees confront them and him. And what's so ironic about this is by the Pharisees' own understanding of what work was or wasn't supposed to be on the Sabbath, they weren't violating it. They were just simply picking the grain because they were hungry. They weren't reaping it. They weren't getting ready to sell it for profit. They weren't farmers. They were just hungry. And so by the Pharisees' own definition, they weren't doing anything wrong. And then Jesus goes on to say this, well, haven't you read? And he, he he deliberately reaches back into the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and he pulls forth a story that they all would have known. It's this story, for those of you who are familiar with your Bible or with your Old Testament, where David, King David, is on the run from Saul. Saul, he's not king yet, but Saul's trying to take his life, and he goes to this place called Nob, such a great name, and finds these priests there and And they're hungry, and so they eat the bread of the presence, which was only supposed to be eaten by the priests, but they were hungry, and so the priests give them some of the day-old bread, presumably, and, and that was okay, but according to the Pharisees, it wasn't? And then he calls their attention to Numbers 28, which talks about the reality that even on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, the priests in the temple still have to carry out their duties. They still need to do what they're required to do, but in a sense, they're working on the Sabbath, so how does that work? And it's so amusing to me how he says this, you know, haven't you read? Well, of course they've read that. I've thought about this just in the work we do, the good work we do as a preaching team. And by the way, every sermon you hear on a Sunday morning has like six different fingerprints on it. It's not just who's preaching. We work on all these sermons as a preaching team. And it would be like me looking at our Gary Brashears and the other members of the preaching team, Sarah Berry and everybody else, and saying, well, have you never read? When, of course, they've read what we're talking about. And he's not trying to be demeaning, he's trying to show them that by their own standards, they're not correctly interpreting the lie, it doesn't work. And by the way, embedded in here is this reality that if David had the authority to eat that bread, in a sense to call an audible, and I'm trying to get you ready for Super Bowl later this Sunday, you know, he's going off script, he's going beyond the play, he's calling an audible, he's making a choice in the moment to do what he thinks is right, is that he's actually not calling an audible. What he did was okay, because he actually had the authority to do it, and what Jesus is saying is, okay, I'm the son of man, and so Don't I have the authority to define what the Sabbath is? Because I'm God. And ironically, Jesus isn't calling an audible. He's trying to help them understand what the law always intended to be. But they refuse to respond to him. And they refuse to respond to the reality that he is God. And he is calling them back to what the Sabbath was always intended to be, not about rules and regulations, but about rest. And so if you and I want this rest, Jesus, again, tells us how to get it. We need to learn from him. We call this discipleship. It's a lifelong process of listening to him, responding to him, reading his word, responding to the Holy Spirit, and then, and then learning from him. But the Pharisees refuse to do that. They will not believe who he is, And they refuse to learn from him, even though he's trying to help them understand what the Sabbath was always intended to be, what rest was always intended to be. Are you willing to learn from Jesus? Really? In the 1990s, there was a book that came out Some of you may remember this. It was by a guy by the name of Larry Crabb. It was called Inside Out. And when I first read that book, I threw it across the room. And it wasn't because I was trying to hit a fly on a window or something, I was mad. I literally threw it across the room. And many of the principles and the realities that Larry Crabb talks about in Inside Out are embedded and are found in emotionally healthy spirituality, which a number of you are going through and which the staff and I are going through. And the reason I threw it across the room is one of the necessary realities of us growing in Jesus Christ is facing the brokenness in our lives and choosing to say no to that and to respond to our spirit-empowered, spirit-guided ability to say yes to what God wants for us, which ultimately gives us blessing. But part of that means doing the hard work, the heavy work, the necessary work, the painful work of looking at your past. Because like it or not, whether you believe in generational sin or not, the reality is there is brokenness that repeats itself from generation to generation. And I was not willing to look at that in my own family and in my own life. It was threatening to me and I wasn't willing to learn from it. And yet it is a very necessary part of following Jesus is being willing to identify those broken things that we gravitate to from our past that pull us away from the blessing of God, that pull us away from what God wants for us. You see, my friends, I was yoked at times to some other things than Jesus at that point in my life. Didn't want to face them felt threatened, felt like telling Jesus, yeah, take your hands off of that. I'm not willing to learn about that. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, when he promises us rest, we have to be willing to steer into what he asks us to steer into because the incredible reality of Jesus is when we're yoked to him, he's not going to get ahead of us. He's not going to ask us more than we can possibly do or or be he empowers us to live the very life that he calls us to live out and yes emotionally there are times we feel overwhelmed and yes there will be come times where we feel like we don't have the strength or we can't do it but but jesus also meets us in those moments and gives us the ability to to enter the very rest he calls us to because he doesn't give us burdens we can't carry and the burdens that do come our way, he helps us actually carry those. Which now brings us to the next part of the story, and there's so much that we could, we could look at in this story, but for the sake of time, we'll zero in on this. So there's this man with the shriveled hand in the temple, or rather in the synagogue. And in that culture, in that day and age, that was embarrassing, that was humiliating, and obviously it was debilitating. And so Jesus goes to him, calls attention to him in the other gospels, Mark and Luke, he actually has him stand up in front of everyone. Very vulnerable moment for this man. And what's so fascinating to me is that the Pharisees are watching Jesus and the way this is written, there isn't a question of if, or there isn't a question of can he heal, the question is will he heal? They actually know that he can, and they're challenging him if he's going to heal on the Sabbath, because again, according to their understanding of the Sabbath and their understanding of the law, that would be considered work. And Jesus points out the craziness of that and says, look, you can pull a sheep out of a pit, but I can't heal a man on the Sabbath who's had this horrible, crippling, debilitating thing that he's had to deal with his entire life. In other translations, it says that he had a withered hand. So, what's this really about? Is this about a withered hand or about withered hearts? Because that's where the Pharisees were at in their resistance to Jesus. Are you feeling withered this morning? Not necessarily in resistance to God, but in entering His rest. You need it, you want it, but boy, are you having a hard time finding it. And this is where we could have spent the whole morning, and that is, okay, so how do we find this rest in Him? Well, it starts with right relationship with Jesus. Have you come to Him? Have you received Him into your life? Are you yoked to Him? And there is a type of rest that comes to us when we trust and obey Jesus, just that in and of itself can produce rest but there's others dimensions to this rest as as well and this is a rest that we're about to talk about that transcends vacations it transcends days off it transcends super bowl sundays like this you know it's it's more enduring it's more accessible it's more available than those things and there is definitely a place for vacations and days off and holidays. Don't stop participating in that. But there's a rest you can find in the rhythms of your life and God has actually given us a tool to find it and it's called the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, God commanded his people to rest. One day a week on the Sabbath, you are to rest. And it makes sense because God created the earth in six days And what did he do on the 7th? He watched the Super Bowl. No. He rested, though. He did rest. He models that for us. This this God models us, models for us, rather, this reality of of rest and the necessity of, of rest. And so if God rested, why do we think we're any different? Because some of us don't. We don't know how to rest. Now, in fairness, there's a, there's a very lively, necessary debate in theological circle, circles of is there, should we have a specific Sabbath day? Well, what's interesting is that in the New Testament, it assumes we still keep the Sabbath. In Colossians, it talks about don't let anyone judge you on what Sabbath you observe, but the, but the presupposition is, the assumption is you are taking a day to rest. But are we, are we truly entering into God's rest, whether you take a day for it or not? And I think we should, but let's just park that for a minute. Okay, so you don't have a Sabbath, but, but are you resting in the rhythms of your life? More than vacation, more than holidays. There's a way to find rest daily. And one of the expressions of that is found in what we're practicing in emotionally healthy spirituality, where we're literally stopping at least a couple times a day To rest, to quiet our minds, to actually listen to God and to listen to what he has for us. And my friends, you know, because you're experiencing it. You know what's been going on in my life and, and in yours with the losses we've endured in our church family and the recent tragedies and the difficulties, not to mention what's going on in this broken world at any given time around us. Oh, I've needed rest, and I've been finding it in an extra dimension recently because I'm being much more deliberate actually in the rhythms of my life my daily life which is very busy and very consuming if I let it be to carve out five minutes five minutes of just resting for a minute and I'm finding myself with a level of rejuvenation that that I haven't experienced in a while And again, there's so many other ways that we can find rest and experience this rest that Jesus is promising to us. And I would point you to those other resources because we just don't have time to go there this morning. But having a Sabbath is a good idea, guilt-free, where you rest from what you normally do. It doesn't mean you do nothing necessarily. It doesn't mean you don't work, which is where the Pharisees had it wrong. But it means that you find rest from what your normal work is with whatever that looks like for you. And it's also finding rest in the daily rhythms of your work life. Carving space, creating places where you can listen to God, experience God in this frenetic, frantic, busy, crazy, consumed, overworked culture that we live in and that we're all dropped in the middle of. Because the amazing thing about the kingdom of God is that it invades this broken world of ours. And it does it in ways that we just most desperately need it I think about the life of this crippled man. His entire life, presumably, or at least most of his adult life, we don't know all the details, but he'd had this crippled hand. He couldn't use this hand. And it was embarrassing, and it made life difficult. But he had made accommodations, evidently. He'd figured out how to live with that, how to live with that disability, how to, how to live with that physical brokenness in his body. And then one day, Jesus comes into the synagogue and he has him stand up in front of everybody, and I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. What, how many emotions must have going through this man's mind? Did he know who Jesus was? Had he heard rumors? Why was Jesus having him stand publicly with his deformity in front of everybody? And then Jesus heals him. What a beautiful picture of the restoration of God! It comes when we least expect it, in the least expected ways, but when we most need it. And it invades this broken world and comes into, our, comes into our lives. And my friends, when we celebrate communion, as we're about to do here in, in just a moment, that's what communion reminds us of, in part, is that as hard and as difficult and as frenetic and as burdensome as this world is, it's going to get better. God promises us better. And so when we take Our communion, like we're about to hear this morning, we're declaring that we're believing in something better. A God who invades this world now, a God who relieves burdens now, lightens the load now, gives us rest now, but ultimately promises a deeper rest in the future. And so, for those of you who are worshiping at home, if you'll grab your communion elements now, and the trick with these little elements that we have here in Um, Our in-person service is to consume them instead of wearing them as you try to open it and it spills on you. So lots of grace here if that happens. But as our worship team comes now and as we respond to this amazing God who promises us rest, this is what happened the night before he went to the cross. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take eat, this is my body. So this is the body of Jesus. Let's remember him together. It goes on to say that he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember what he's done for us. Jesus, thank you for the reality that someday we will fully be at rest with you. But in this life that we live now, you also promise us rest. Lord, you are the God who comes into this broken world and is in the process of restoring it. And Lord, you want us to have rest. And God, we're weary. We're, we're burdened. We yoke ourselves to things that ultimately don't give us what we need and they certainly don't give rest, but you do. So would we once again yoke ourselves to you this morning? Would we choose to follow you, to trust you, to learn from you, and to receive rest from you. So Lord, we come to your table, and we thank you that there we find mercy and grace and love and rest. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, thank you that because you are the strong and mighty God we can take you at your word and we can believe you and you promise us rest for our souls. You tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I pray that for each person here. And Lord, together we pray for Caitlin, Patrick, and for little Ella Grace, and for Matt and Rhonda, for Adam and Laura, for the Fisher and Patrick families. We love them, we hurt with them. We pray, Lord, that you would be their strength and their hope. And Lord, I know that there are many other burdens represented here from our friends who are watching online to those here in the room. But we all need your rest. And so God, would you grant and give that rest? Would we believe you for that rest? Would we experience that rest? And we thank you for this time that we've had together to seek you and to listen to you and to worship you and pursue you together. We love you. And we pray all of this in your name, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. So let's now go and live for him and enjoy your Sabbath. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.